welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and returning to our show today is Robert Paris, the CEO of Myelin Leadership International and a recognized pioneer in the field of neural leadership, where fundamental principles of neuroscience are applied to leadership and management. Welcome. Thank you, Tom. Welcome back, Robert. Robert was on our show last week, and he runs a company in Montreal, Canada called Myelin Leadership. Through online resources, he provides services all over the world. And last week, we discussed the idea of authentic leadership and the need to be vulnerable to do that. He told some rather intense stories, which are very inspiring, by the way. So what we'd like to do is to discuss some of the ways he actually learns vulnerability. So basically, he is a pioneer in applying fundamental principles of neuroscience to management and leadership. He has a certificate in the Foundations of Neural Leadership, which applies emerging knowledge of the brain to sports and business. And he runs a company called, is it Myelin Leadership, Robert? Correct. So we want to get to your content really quickly. I'm not going to spend as much time in the introduction because he's got a lot to say. And we discussed on the, well, for those of you who've been following the doc journey here for a bit, understand that anger is always the tipping point. And I've said for a long time, people don't want to give up their anger because it's addicting, which it is. It's powerful. It keeps you safe. But I'm also realizing in a big way in nature that there's no rewards for being vulnerable because animals and species of creatures that are vulnerable don't survive. And humans have the same problem is that emotional pain and physical pain are processed the same way. So same thing with emotional pain, you feel it. There's not a lot of rewards for being vulnerable in the human experience, yet it's the essence of the human existence is being vulnerable. You can't really have real rich relationships unless you're vulnerable. And as Robert pointed out in the first podcast that Vulnerability is the essence of authentic leadership. And what I'm going to ask him to do this time is in this podcast is to describe the ways you teach people to be vulnerable because it's a learned skill. It's not natural biologically to be vulnerable. So Robert, welcome back. And um, we're really curious in some of the ways that you um, teach vulnerability. Well, it's a pleasure to be back uh, again, David, and, and, and thanks for the question. Um, at Milan Leadership, uh, we've developed a process, and it's called Renew, R-E-N-E-W. And in that uh, process, we use that to help people become comfortable being vulnerable and telling their stories. In fact, not just being comfortable, but actually getting a lot of pleasure uh, out of it. But you're right in pointing out that goes against our evolutionary biology, and that's a tough thing. So in Renew, there's, there's a few things we do. But the first thing we do, we empower people by teaching them how their brains work. It's incredible how the vast majority of people don't know how this you know, motor in our head actually works. And uh, our finding is once you understand the basic concepts about the brain, you now become empowered because you kind of understand now a little bit more about emotions and about vulnerability. But teaching about the brain is fundamental. And once you um, uh, get over that step of learning about the brain, we next then try to work with a specific process where we use visual stimuli to help people tell their story. And we bring them back to uh, childhood. 
And as you know, David, so you and I and just about every person on the planet, we have some trying, challenging, even traumatic moments from childhood based on, on you know, parenting or whatever, even though our parents may have had the best of intentions, they may have left us alone, not pay attention to us. And so we develop these hidden messages that I'm not good enough, that I'm a, I'm a loser, these kinds of things. And unfortunately, that becomes hardwired into the brain unconsciously, and it carries over into adulthood. And then all of a sudden, as adult, I see that person in the boardroom or on the field, and they're perhaps um, being very aggressive. They're the toxic boss, but not understanding, going back to those hidden messages that I'm a loser, that maybe they went out to the schoolyard and started to bully others as a protective mechanism, as a coping mechanism. Again, these coping mechanisms are hardwired in the brain, carry over into adulthood without that individual being aware of it. And yet others are perceiving that individual in um, negative terms. So I think those two things are, are, are the first two steps, learn about the brain, but start getting in touch with those uh, self-destructive hidden messages and coping mechanisms that are buried unconsciously in the brain. Okay, so sorry, the first one's education and then you have the visual stimuli to childhood. And then the third one is the hidden messages. Is, did I hear that correctly? Well, we, it, it's actually both. We actually use visual stimuli to help people tell their stories and get in touch with those hidden messages. And the reason we, we use visual stimuli is that we know it lights up areas of the brain related to emotion and memory. And it really does work because when people tell their story, it's not just from the rational, logical brain, but it's using the emotional brain as well. So it helps people open up. I just want to highlight a couple of points. So I'm not going to spend too much time right now on educating the group about how the brain works. That's the work you do and, and I do. And so, again, I'll just summarize by saying that our nervous system learns how we learn how to survive by events in the past. In other words, if something in the past was dangerous and untoward, we're going to, of course, avoid it in the future. In other words, if you learn that the stove was hot when you were five, you're not going to put your hand on the stove when you're adult. Same thing with a bully or an adult or a bad relationship. All these things get programmed in and then going forward, you're going to avoid those same behaviors. So that's how every creature evolves and survives is by learning from the past. That's why I don't like the word PTSD because everybody has PTSD. I mean, if something in the present reminds you of something in the past that was dangerous, of course, you're going to react. But you live your life in a very defensive way, which works for survival, but not for relationships. So you're pointing out, and that's my goal, like being a spine surgeon, I don't, I'll just speak for the medical culture, but doctors are rough on each other. We do not show vulnerability, especially surgeons. And honestly, any small amount of vulnerability is sanctioned, we're punished, we're ostracized. I remember putting on a course in 2011, a course in compassion, empathy in the face of chronic pain. And I had several physicians come up to me and go, well, how can you put a course in compassion you're an orthopedic surgeon. <laughs> okay. Wow. I mean, but it, it's brutal. I mean, doctors don't treat each other very well. It's really sad. And I'm guessing in the business world that happens to some degree that there's a power, the force, the whole thing. Use the word toxic boss. And I'm just going to ask for a very rough guesstimate, which you don't have to give me, but it seems like there's a lot of toxic bosses in this world. And it seems like the last five years has even more of an issue than it was 20 years ago. I'm just curious what you think about the trend of this need to be powerful and strong as opposed to being open and vulnerable. 
Well, there's no question the last uh, five years. And I, to, to answer your question, I would think in terms of all of this need, it might be 90% of senior executives who are actually there because they actually don't understand themselves. They're not self-aware. So I think it's a growing trend. And if you take a look, you know, what's gone on the last couple of years, particularly in, in, in the U.S., um, with, with, with this uh, um, macho-like image and denying the truth and the lying and all of this stuff. It's just, I think, empowered those executives to go out and, and have this fa false macho image or whatever, that to lead others and to be content means, uh, yes, uh, not being vulnerable, but being, uh, you know, uh, strong and aggressive and domineering. So unfortunately, I see too much of this going on. And, uh, you know, those are not the people, though, who are content in their lives and right. other people really want to follow. Yeah, it's ironic. So we know that bullies, by the way, have lower inflammatory markers than kids that they bully. So they've done several studies showing that if that the inflammatory markers, which is a bad thing to have in your body, by the way, because it just it destroys your tissues, that the inflammatory markers in kids who are bullied are higher than the average. But what's more disturbing is that the inflammatory markers in bullies are quite a bit lower than average. There's actually a physiological reward for being a bully because the antidote to anxiety is control. The more power you have, the more control you have. And so we also know anxiety is an inflammatory disorder. It is physiological, not psychological. Anxiety is a response to a threat. It's not the cause. So if you're the person providing the threat and being tough, you actually have less anxiety and less inflammatory markers than other people around you. But like you said, it's not a rich life, it's not fulfilling. You may do okay, you may actually even get away with it to some degree, have some degree of happiness, but you tend to make life miserable for those around you. Your kids, your spouses, your colleagues, your employees tend to be miserable because it's all about you. And so it doesn't work. And you can't really be open to other people and have real relationships without being vulnerable. Which is, which is against our biology. So how do you, what are some of the other tools specifically, say I'm your client and I'm in your office and doing things. As far as this renewed process, what do you do as far as this visual stimuli? What, what is that like? So what, what we do is, is we have special cards that actually have some words on them. And when we encourage someone to tell his or her story, particularly in public, um, rather than just issue you know, some uh, guidelines or whatever that we want you to tell your story and show some vulnerability or whatever, we actually give them three spe special, they're very special photographs which have words on them. And we ask them to study these and put them together, okay, to form a story in their brain so that they can help them tell their story. And again, what we're really doing is trying to open up their emotional part of the brains. I've been doing this now for seven or eight years, and it's just extraordinary, the power of these visual stimuli, because people who in a million years never would have opened up in public, all of a sudden start to talk, and they start uh, to talk emotionally. And that, that's catchy. Once one person does it, another person wants to do it. So right. in, in the process, these visual stimuli are critical. So that's an interesting point because we also, also uh, in chronic pain, we talk about that you can't fix chronic pain, but you connect your brain to a different part that already exists, play pathways, giving back, et cetera. So it's an interesting concept of using these cards to actually wake up different parts of the brain. But I do want to emphasize one point, which is really critical, is that when you become aware of the stories, 
you become aware how they're intruding on your life, but you can't and don't want to fix them because they're there. So it's that awareness of what they're doing to you that allows you to create alternatives around them. Very true. And, and, and I think, David, that that's part and parcel of the process. As I say, the way we start out, we teach people how their brains work. So that empowers them in a way. They, un they understand what's going on. Number two, then in getting in touch with the hidden messages and coping mechanisms that are buried there, not an easy process, as you know, but people who have gone through it say, wow, this is really quite liberating. Then when they make links between these uh, destructive subconscious messages and maladapt maladaptive behaviors in, in adulthood, light bulbs go off because now they understand that they're, they haven't been content, that they've been working behind armor, behind the mask, and it's detracted from such a huge part of their life. It's detracted from forming meaningful relationships, not just in their personal lives, in their business lives, or in their sports lives, or what, whatever it is. But they also start to see the reaction of others, because now we encourage them to tell the story and show vulnerability, which again, they initially resist, as, as you and I know. But when they start to do that, and they see the reaction to other people, and they see that people now are more drawn to them, they're more interested in them, it's a win-win. They feel really good as a result of having told that story. It's almost a weight off their shoulders, but they see the reaction of their loved ones or co-workers or co-teammates who um, all of a sudden are, are reacting in a in much more human way. And it, it's, it's just win all the way around. What are the long-term outcomes of this process of learning to be vulnerable? In other words, is it like a one day I feel vulnerable, great, and then you will go back to your patterns or... Do things continue to change? Well, David, and, and that's the last part of the renew process, um, is that what we do is then we get people to write a self-affirming script in their own words. And usually that script you know, starts out by saying, I realize I have defective brain wiring and that my brain has been control of me no longer. I am now in control of my brain. And then they write the self-affirming script in their own words, such as, I know I am strong. I know I've been successful. I know I'm a loving individual. I know my intentions are really good. And they write a few paragraphs. And we have them repeat that twice a day, every day for 60 days. If they miss one day, they have to go right back to the beginning because it interferes in brain wiring. So what we found out after 60 days, the turnaround is really quite remarkable, that people start to feel really content within themselves. They see others reacting very positively towards them. And let me say, it doesn't stop there because as you know, and particularly dealing with people who might be 30, 40, 50, 60 years old, you have decades of this old brain wiring that's there. You're never gonna destroy it, but now you're developing new brain wiring. It, it's kind of like a new skill, much as if you were learning to play the guitar or whatever. So you have that as a basis, but you have to longer term keep up practice and practice and develop positive thinking and develop your belief systems. And again, the results we're getting in terms of people feeling much more meaning and fulfillment in their lives and teams telling their stories and gelling. Um, it's really been quite warming and what keeps me going. I get a tremendous amount of fulfillment out of that. Yeah. And it's the same, I mean, you and I <clears throat> have our different versions of sort of the same process about, um, you know, the essence of healing is 
connecting to your own capacity to heal, which means you have to connect to who you are, then your body does all sorts of stuff, not just mentally, but physiologically. And I just want to emphasize again, when you, when you become aware of the childhood traumas, the ACE scores, traditional, and I'm, I'm a firm supporter of psychologists. I don't want to say this in, in a negative way, but it's really key to understand the role of psychology in this whole thing, because it's not about, when you're doing the positive affirmations, it's not <clears throat> to try to fix what's wrong. You're just simply creating another set of pathways that are stronger and different. So as you quit using the poor me pathways and start going into the other pathways, it's a big difference than using these positive pathways to fix the old ones, so, right? Yes, I, if, if you, you put very eloquently in, in terms of what I was trying to, to say before, absolutely. So you can't, and then the other thing is, yeah, there's so many levels. So once you connect to who you are, it's not like you're being tough. You just, you know, have at it, come at me. I'm just, here I am, you know, take your best shot at me. You actually have compassion for people, at least for me, <clears throat> They understand that they're, they're reacting, they're acting out, they're anxious, they're frustrated. They're the ones that are anxious and frustrated, not me. I actually feel sorry for them as they, because I get attacked a lot, as you know, I'm sort of good at this, <laughs> yes. right? But I don't like it, but I did, it, at the deep, but see, there is a saying written by a famous playwright, the most annoying thing you can do to your enemies is to ignore them. And I'm not doing it on purpose. I, it, I don't even flinch and I'm not tough. I don't even like the word resilient. It's just a different, reality. I'm just connected to who I am, doing what I do. I'm aware of your needs. I'm aware that you're attacking me, but I'm aware that you have needs that are unmet. You, somehow you are attacking me because I'm not meeting your needs. I can't really help you with that. It makes a huge paradigm difference. So this is being vulnerable, by the way, is not risking being in pain all the time. It means just feeling what you feel. And it's a huge difference than the usual word that we think of the word being vulnerable because vulnerable implies not being safe, but you have to be smart when you're vulnerable. So this is not just giving yourself as, up as a sacrifice. It might, maybe the better word might be just open. Is that a, is that a first statement? Might be a better word than vulnerable? Uh, but perhaps it's a better word, David. And, and I want to just emphasize, because I think what you just said was so critically important, right? Because we have all these defective brain messages and these saboteurs in our brain, you know, sending us, it's kind of that we judge ourselves very harshly. So the vast majority of us, when we're being in the presence of someone who's being dominant or aggressive is berating us, we take it personally as a result of these saboteurs. Right. And I think what you're saying is that, no, David, you're, or we're all in control of our brains. And in essence, rather than reacting with anger or uh, actually extreme anger in, in many cases, you're only hurting yourself. If you change your mind to say, oh, it's too bad about this other person, that they must be really going through a hard time, how, how tough it is. That means that we're being strong, that we feel comfortable, we've overcome these saboteurs. And yes, it's too bad about these other people that maybe one time they'll get help. I right. think that is so empowering and it's, it's really, really important. So, um, I know you have a lot, a lot of great stories. I wonder if we could finish up with just one story that you might have about how this process worked in one, or, one of your clients. Well, I'm, I'm going to talk about a uh, coaching a, a situation. And uh, it was one-on-one -on -one coaching. And I met someone for the first time, uh, kind of just to see what I do and, and what the process is. And he was working for a very aggressive, macho 
company, all right? So he, and, and, and by the way, they didn't treat their people very well, but he had been with the company for 17 years. He comes into the room, closes the door, and uh, what do you want? Like, you know, you could tell he didn't want to be there or whatever. And I said, well, here's the process that we're going to go through, but I need you to be open. And he said, yeah, sure. Right. In, in exactly those terms. Right. And so we started going through the entire process and we talk about the power of visual stimuli. I had five photos lined up. The first two, he was he was Mr. Know-it-all. What am I doing here? But the third photo, really, he stopped. It stopped him dead in his tracks and he couldn't talk for half a minute and he totally changed his body language. And I said, what's going on? And he said, wow, I really connected with that photo and tears started to flow. Okay. And I said, what's going on? And he said, last night I was talking to my wife, right? Because I took a look at the photo that talks about kind of goals and she was telling, asking me to change my goals because I've been working for this company. I wasn't myself. I, my values were, weren't, weren't aligned with the values of this organization. And I've been behind this mask, as I've shown you over the first 20 minutes. And he just started to bawl. He said, I've been a fake. I've been a charlatan. Can you help me? And that's okay. when we started to work with him. And he ended up leaving the organization. So that is, I characterize, let's call this individual bill. There's so many bills that are out there hiding behind these masks and this fake macho image or whatever, that once we take that armor off and we have them talking authentically and getting in touch with their values and who they really are, that's what happens. And I could tell you longer term, Bill was a much happier, more content individual, as was his family. Yeah, you probably saved a marriage there, I would guess. Yes. I mean, seriously, I mean, I, you know, but I mean, it's true. I mean, we all put on these masks, we call it the ego or identity. And it takes a lot of energy to do that. And I will tell you from my own experience, you know, my story, I did the same thing with an abusive childhood. I created a David Hanscom and I did it incredibly successful at it. And I just wore out. And when I crashed and burned, it was pretty ugly and also really was harmful to other people around me emotionally. So it's just a much less energy expenditure every day just to be who you are. And you don't have to impress anybody. You don't have to impress yourself. You just get to exist. It's an incredibly relieving place to live. But what's ironic is that the energy it takes to maintain this, I'll use the word facade or mask, is now I have probably triple the energy to do what I need to do. I mean, I'm not burning up energy maintaining the facade. I just, if I have something to get done, I just get it done. I don't, I don't put things on my to-do list unless I'm going to do them. Um, if I don't want to do it, I don't do it. So I don't have any energy wrapped up in this facade anymore. And, and again, I mean, Tom knows this. I have a lot of energy, but it's probably, and I had a lot of energy in high school, but it's now sustainable. It's a huge difference. Huge. Yes, David. And I, as you know, my story as well, where I grew up, I had a very overbearing dad. I mean, he was a good dad in many ways, but I had no self-confidence and I had all kinds of issues that, as a result of that. And in suppressing the stories, when I got into my 20s and, and eventually th uh, 30s, I would be exhausted at the end of the day. I saw doctors, I didn't understand what was going on. 
until I started to, to realize I had all these inner stories that were trapped there. And my brain was, was taking enormous cognitive energy to suppress these stories. Right. And once I was able to you know, get it all out and tell my story, that's when things started to change. And yes, the energy came back to when I was in my teens as well. So again, thank you, Robert. This is wonderful as usual. We may probably have to do a few more of these to get some of the other concepts out there. But um, could you, again, give us your website and how to access your resources? Yes, it's myelinleadership.com, M-Y-E-L-I-N, the word leadership.com. On that site, you'll see many videos. You'll see other resources. Um, certainly welcome people to visit the site. And also emphasize that he also works on individual leadership as well as corporate leadership. So his knowledge base, his approach is really remarkable. So I, I would encourage you to take a look. And uh, I think it, he's a wonderful resource. So again, Robert, thank you very much for being on our program today. Thanks. Thanks, David. As usual, it's a pleasure. I'd like to thank our guest, Robert Paris, for being on the show today and for sharing the details of his renew process that helps leaders and management teams become more authentic and effective. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.